And welcome everyone to another installment of Dose of Dog presented by our friends at Embark, the area's premier dog training center. Make sure to check them out at Facebook, check them out online as well. That's Embark. And again, they bring you the Dose of Dog podcast series. Our friend Heather from Embark is with us. Mm-hmm. Today she wants to talk resource guarding. Yes. Uh, what that all means and what that means for you and your furry family member. Uh, she will go through all of it with you. Heather, how's it going? It is cold out today, Scott. It is cold. It's a cold week. We have some dogs that are struggling these <laughs> this week without walks and gosh, trying to put some info out there of stuff for them to do this week because a lot of dogs are not willing to go which of course they're not it's not quite safe when it's 30 below wind chills unless you're an arctic breed and you enjoy that the poor little like vishlas and the pit bulls and the hairless dogs are struggling this week scott (laughs) this is this is the sort of time when you get in the winter it's very quick potty breaks when they head outside They, they they do a lot of sniffing as you've discussed in the past Yes, no, not not a not an appropriate time of the year for sniff walks. That's for sure. <laughs> and of course, uh, go back and listen to all the great podcast series that we have. The previous podcasts that talk about a number of topics, and uh, you know, you hear all about sniff walks and letting your dog explore. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, today, Heather, you want to talk about resource guarding. Yeah, we're going to talk about something pretty serious this week. So we're going to kind of get away from the fun stuff and talk about resource guarding this week. Okay, so, well, it all about it. Well, so kind of the reason, that, Scott, I I really wanted to talk about this is, is well, multi-fold, I guess. You know, I send a lot of videos out to clients after we do behavior consults, and sometimes I'm, I'm searching through the internet, which can be great and not so great. And gosh, there is just a lot of awful information out there. <laughs> and this is one area that I find that finding valid like truly behavior-based information is really hard for people. Um, you know, and I, I talk to a lot of people that that say, well, gosh, you know, I looked on the internet and it said, and I think it's really difficult for people to kind of wade through that information and find out what's valid um, and what is just kind of people's, you know, anecdotal information that may have worked for their dog. So, so I thought today we'd talk about resource guarding and also, you know, what it looks like, what to do, what not to do, more importantly, um, and, and some preventative measures to put in place. So so I know a lot of people have heard the term resource guarding. So let's kind of define what it is first. So resource guarding is when your dog, and we're specifically talking about dogs, of course. Um, so it's when your dog has something that they deem valuable and they are threatened by you trying to take it away, by your approach to that item. So what does it look like? Well, what we see in dogs that are exhibiting resource guarding are, are they, they have certain body language over their item that they deem valuable. And gosh, Scott, that item that they deem valuable can be something utterly invaluable to a human. So, oh gosh, I have seen dogs resource guard pieces of torn up cardboard. Um, I have seen them, you know, the food bowl is pretty common, chewies, especially high value chewies like pig's ears and bully sticks and um, higher marrow bones, like higher value chew items. Um, But it can be, resource guarding can kind of be applicable to a lot of things that the dog deems valuable. Um, Some dogs will resource guard their person 
from other dogs and people. Um, some dogs will resource guard, again, their food bowl or a chewy or something ridiculous. I had a dog once that um, stole their tax return when we used to get checks and we didn't do direct deposit. Um, their tax return, their Springer stole their tax return. And I said, just let it go. <laughs> um, you know, I don't want you to get bit in the process. So, so it can be something that that's goofy, like the kitchen towel that sometimes is a common thing. Eyeglasses, a remote, you know, a shoe. I mean, it can really be anything, um, that the dog deems valuable. And so what the, what resource guarding looks like is the dog takes that item and then upon your approach, your approach, your child's approach, you know, whoever's approaching that, another dog, um, resource guarding happens inter, in, in between dogs, family dogs, other dogs. Um, when that threatening creature, whether it be a human, a child, another dog, comes near that item, the behaviors that you see in the dog or the body language cues that you'll see are a lowered body language. So they have their item and they kind of hover over that item. Um, they often will, you'll see that whale eye that uh, you see kind of the whites of the dog's eye as you approach. So they're kind of looking to the side. Um, and that's a huge body language cue. I mean, that's something we look for a lot in, in dogs that are uncomfortable. You know, you typically don't see the white of a dog's eyes. And, you know, when a dog is exhibiting resource guarding, you'll see some of that where they'll kind of look away. You'll see the whites of their eyes stiffen. Like any stiff body language is, is, usually indicative of a threat of some sort to the dog. So, you know, they're, they're over their bowl, let's say for perhaps their body language is stiff. They are kind of hovering over it. You'll see the ears kind of go back. You see the whites of the eyes. You'll see a freeze. You'll see a look away. You'll see sometimes vocalizations you'll see, or you'll hear a low growl, like a little guttural kind of sound coming from the dog. So all of those pieces are the dog resource guarding. And, you know, there's, there's, Gosh, there's, you know, along the the spectrum of resource guarding, I mean, we have the dogs that are just kind of annoyed and they perceive you as a little bit of a threat to the dogs that will, will really go to wit's end to protect, you know, that piece of cardboard, one of the dogs that I worked with. So it's a scary thing, you know, and when the dogs have this behavior, when they have taken something like the kitchen towel or a child's sock, um, and you approach your dog and they do these behaviors, it's it's so frustrating, disheartening <laughs> to the owner because, you know, here's this dog you've given these fabulous things to, and now they're exhibiting these behaviors against you. And I think it's really hard for people to kind of understand why this happens. Um, you know, it's frustrating. It's, it's kids oftentimes in the family will think, oh my gosh, now we're gonna have to give the dog away because they're growling. And, and so I think it's really, it's really hard for families to work through or to see um, their dog do this. But gosh, I have to say that this is a normal behavior in canines. And so there is a little bit of evidence that is pointing to kind of a genetic component to this. And so the one thing that I really want to kind of hit home to people is this is not something you created. <laughs> you can make it worse. And we're gonna talk about that, but don't blame yourself. Um, I, I was kind of on a roll this week, Scott. I kind of saw some posts from some dog people that were talking about, does your dog do this? Does your dog do this? You know, it's your fault because you have done this. And I think that's just, honestly, that's just crap. <laughs> I mean, if I'm here, if we're here to help people, like blaming them for behaviors is not helpful. I mean, if we're here to help people understand their dogs, <laughs> blaming them for these behaviors is utterly, like it just doesn't help the case. So, so I think 
we have to understand that the dog is doing this. It's somewhat of a natural behavior. It's clearly not appropriate because we, they live with humans. <laughs> so, um, so that being said, you know, what do we do about it? I mean, it's a natural behavior. We, we obviously, we want to not have anyone in the family get hurt when the dog kind of exhibits these things. So what do we do about it? Well, first off, if your dog is doing really significant resource guarding where they are hovering over a toy, they are growling, they are vocalizing, they're showing teeth, that that if they're if they're exhibiting those kind of behaviors, then you need professional help. So at that point, um, you know, what we're going to talk about today, I'm not going to walk you through a giant behavior modification plan <laughs> um, because a lot of this is body language and I need to see that and your mechanics and where is the dog doing it and look at a history and what's been done in the past with that dog. So we're just going to kind of hit some preventative measures and um, some things that you can start to put in place to to make sure that if the dog genetically is a little bit predisposed to this behavior, what can we do to to get put some insurance in place really to make sure it doesn't happen. So, so what to do? Well, let's, I thought, let's talk about what not to do first, because <laughs> that is very evident out there on the Google machine. So again, I, I kind of looking through what's out there, there's a lot of really awful advice on the internet. And, and, you know, it's awful because as we know, that stuff's at our fingertips and you just Google resource guarding and you're going to get, you know, 20 videos on YouTube and maybe two of them are like evidence-based dog training that actually walk you through like emotional states of, of conditioning this behavior to look like something different. And so, so what do we not do? So we absolutely do not want to use punishment. When your dog is resource guarding, you do not want to just go up and take it away. You don't want to use any kind of aversives like, you know, gosh, like hitting the dog or popping them on a collar or using an e-collar. My God, that's like the worst thing you can do. I mean, the dog is already perceiving your approach as a threat. And so that is not going to make anything better. <laughs> um, the other, the other advice that is given a lot of the times is, and I hear this so much in our puppy classes, um, is play with their food. So when they're a puppy, a way to prevent this is to play, you know, your dog is eating, go up, take food out of their mouth, mess with their food dish, um, you know, um, play with the food in their dish, take their bowl away, give it back to them. And gosh, if you really critically think about that, that kind of cascade of events, that's going to make it worse because let's say Scott, you and I went out to dinner and let's say you got a plate of sweet potato fries, which I love sweet potato fries. Um, and you sat next to me and I kept, you were trying to eat them and I was taking them out of your mouth and I was playing with them on your, on your plate. I mean, at some point you're going to backhand me and be like, Heather, <laughs> knock it off. And so I'm creating by doing that and by messing um, with the dog that already is maybe possibly anxious around someone approaching their food bowl, doing those things, playing with their dish and, and grabbing food out of their mouth is going to exacerbate this. And they're, they're going to be more anxious when you approach. So, so that is not a good preventative to do with a puppy or an older dog. Um, it's going to create more anxiety than it's going to prevent. So I really do not <laughs> um, advocate for doing those kinds of things. There's a lot of better advice that we can do. Um, and the reason for it is, again, we're, we're creating, you know, the dog is having a, they're, 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 
what they're thinking when you approach their food bowl is that it's threatening. And by you doing those things, that is not going to make it any better. So, so those are the things of what not to do. <laughs> um, the other advice that I think is given is, you know, every time they have something, take it away from them. And so, and, and that's just kind of rude. I think like anytime they have something, take it away. Like that's not how you build a relationship. I mean, it should be kind of an ebb and flow and a, a, a passing of information. So if we can, if we can do some other things, um, that would be fabulous. So let's talk about kind of what to do. So again, if your dog is doing some resource guarding that is significant, um, give us a call, give me a call in particular. Um, we'll put some protocols in place. Um, and I kind of like a, uh, Lindsay Wood Brown, who is a, um, uh, board certified, uh, oh God, now I'm like spacing on her title. Um, uh, oh gosh, <laughs> um, certified animal, applied animal behaviorist. Thank you. Um, I really like some of her protocols. She kind of initiates a classic counter conditioning procedure that's kind of followed by this operant procedure and it's fabulous. And I've had a lot of success with that. So that's kind of my go-to for, for solving that problem. But there's a lot of preventatives that we can add in that do not involve playing with the dog's food, messing with their face when they're eating. So some of the preventatives that I recommend to put into place, and again, this is if your dog is not a, a serious resource guarder. So they're not growling, they're not hovering out of their bowl, no one's gotten bit. Um, so these are some things to put in place. And you know, Scott, the, the scary part about resource guarding is that the population that's often affected the most are kids because the dog will have something and unbeknownst to the child, they'll go up and try to take, you know, a bone away. And it doesn't even have to be that again, it could be a kitchen towel or a wrapper from a granola bar. Um, and, and small children can't read body language. And so I think it's so, that's why it's so important to create this, this positive condition, emotional response to someone approaching something that could be the dog possibly could perceive as a threat. I just think that's so important to keep everyone safe. So, so with puppies, what we talk about is I call them fly by hot dogs. So one of the things that we can start to create from puppyhood and regardless of if you have a dog that you think would resource guard or not, I think this is awesome advice for anyone that adopts a dog, gets a puppy, like let's just put some insurance in place so that we can kind of mitigate this from ever happening. So what I like to do is you're gonna feed your puppy or your dog, I guess, um, you're going to cut up something that's really high value. So hot dogs, chicken, something. And we're just going to do like flybys. You're going to walk past the dog's dish, drop something really good in and walk away. You're not going to linger. You're not going to stop and tell them a story. You're just going to walk by, drop something in their dish and walk away. Um, and, and what we're doing in that little context is we are, we are basically classically conditioning. If, again, if the dog doesn't have a response yet, your approach to the food bowl means something really good happens. So approach the dish, drop a piece of hot dog, chicken, whatever, you know, their thing is, whatever is a high value um, reinforcer for them, drop something in there and walk away. The kids, all the kids can do this. Kids are good at throwing food, right? Scott, you've got kids at home. They're really good at throwing food. <laughs> so walk by, toss it in their dish, walk away walk by, toss it in their dish. And the humans or the adults in the family too, walk by, drop something really good in the dish and walk away. And what we're creating when we're doing this little procedure is we are creating a dog that, that we have created this really predictable little scenario to play out in which a human approaches your bowl, 
something awesome happens and then they leave. So someone approaches your dish, hot dogs fall from the sky, the person leaves. And so the more we do this, the more the dog goes, oh my gosh, yes, come over to the dish. I love the flyby hot dogs or chicken or whatever it might be. And what we're doing is we're creating this really predictable little um, scenario to play out over and over. And as we know in any species, um, in any behavior, we know that predictability creates loose or predictability helps lessen anxiety in any context. And so approach the dish, drop something good, walk away, approach the dish, drop something good, walk away. And you know, if your dog leaves its dish to come and get the hot dog before you even get there, that is awesome because that's actually in the little um, behavior modification that I do. That's kind of one of the goals that we look for is the dog will willingly leave their dish to come and get the thing, which means now you approaching the bowl isn't as threatening. So this same little context we can play out when the dog has is a chewing on something. So again, baby dogs and, and again, dogs that aren't resource guarding yet, um, maybe they're exhibiting a tiny bit of that, those very entry level, I'm starting to get a little bit of stress behavior when they're chewing on something, but this is where flyby hot dogs can help. So the dog is chewing on, let's say a bully stick or something that is potentially high value. Walk by, drop something good. Walk by, drop something good. Now, if your dog is a resource guarder, we don't start with those high value items because there already is a big history of I hover, I growl, I do all these, I kind of exhibit all these aggressive behaviors when someone approaches. So with those dogs, we'd start with like something pretty benign, like a rope toy or a uh, a, a chewy that's not very high value. So we would start with those things and we'd start to implement the same protocol of approach means something good happens. Approach means something good happens. So our whole goal is to kind of just create that so the dog understands that when humans approach, it's actually not a threat. Actually, something really fabulous happens. And again, if we change that underlying condition, emotional response to that trigger, so human approach is something good happens, you just have a dog that's safer around any creature, you know, small humans, big humans. Um, and so that's kind of the procedure that, that we can start to do with puppies, with dogs that um, maybe exhibit a little bit of resource guarding. Um, and, you know, you guys have all seen, maybe you've seen videos where, um, the shelter often use a couple different tests to test resource guarding on, on dogs that are being put up for adoption. Um, the SAFER test, which was developed by Dr. Emily Weiss, and then the Assess-a-Pet by uh, Sue Sternberg. Um, and a lot of people have seen the video where the dog is eating in a bowl and here comes this plastic hand out of nowhere and the dog just lunges onto that plastic hand. And it's quite, it's horrifying to watch because first of all, a lot of people don't know that that's not a human hand. <laughs> um, but resource guarding can be very scary. Um, and it's it's often a behavior that that dogs are given up for um, sometimes. And, and it doesn't, you know, the the dog itself, its personality isn't predictive of this if if resource guarding is going to occur or not or not. I mean, gosh, I have had the sweetest golden retrievers um, in the world, you know, guard a rawhide or guard a pig's ear. And it's terrifying for the for their owners to see because this is the sweet you know, socially savvy, fabulous dog that all of a sudden turns into a completely different dog when they have something that's of high value. And so it's pretty scary for people to see. So 
so adding in little flyby hot dogs is a is a good piece. Um, the other piece that we teach a lot with both prevention and then once we kind of start to put behavior plan in place is teaching your dog to bring you everything. So as a puppy, we know that they bring you anything naturally. Like they pick up your shoes, they pick up your socks, like they haul your bra into a dinner party out of the laundry. I mean, <laughs> they're always having stuff in their mouth. And we tend to to tell them that it's bad, but I say encourage it, man. Like your puppy brings you stuff. Oh my gosh, they bring you a sock. You know, yay, you are, that is so fabulous. I didn't really want that right now, but I will trade you for something. Because then what we do is we create a dog that wants to bring you everything. Um, and then when they have something that they potentially may have guarded, um, if we didn't intervene, they, they know to bring it to you and they know that they're going to get something better. Um, when they start bringing you really good things like bully sticks and pig's ears, we trade them one up. So you bring me something really good and that's when you get something really good in return. So, um, teaching the dogs to trade is another really awesome um, piece to this kind of puzzle. Um, and we can start that with dogs that already resource guard. I mean, they bring you their normal toys, just normal toys that they would bring in life. We start trading them for those things. Um, they bring you a stick in the yard. We trade you for, you know, we, we offer something better when they bring that to you. So putting together all these pieces, putting in some um, really solid, like a trade behavior where they would be willing to bring you things. Um, working on the little flyby hot dogs, um, where you just walk by and you drop something into their dish. Um, those things are just good kind of prevention. Uh, um, so if your dog has kind of the predilection to be a resource guarder, we can put those things in place as insurance. And man, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I mean, gosh, you do these little things and it doesn't have to be a lot. And you teach the dogs or the puppies that it's not a threat when I approach. Um, you're just going to have a safer dog overall. So again, those things are kind of what I would put in place. So the other piece to this is if your dog, again, is a resource guarder. <laughs> um, again, that is kind of a longer plan because what we do with dogs like that, what I do with dogs like that is we slowly set up scenarios in which to make the dog successful. So so we kind of do a lot of management, you know, in any behavior plan in the beginning, there is always a lot of management in place because we don't want the dogs to practice the behaviors that we're trying to eliminate. So um, with dogs that already are resource guarders, I would use a lot of management tools, whether that means feeding them in a crate, whether that means, you know, dog to dog resource guarding is a little bit harder because you're um, not always reading the cues in between the two dogs. So that would be maybe feeding with a baby gate in between them. That would be um, feeding in their crates. That might be when they're out together, picking up all of those chewies. So we don't have any scuffles over higher value chew items. That might be being very, very aware of when you are delivering reinforcement to those dogs, like where it's coming from and who's delivering it and asking for like a really solid behavior that they're, that they have a big history of doing like a sit or something before you deliver reinforcement to them. So management is always good. <laughs> I mean, I'm a huge fan of management um, as we slowly start to, to work towards kind of more amiable conditions, I guess, in this kind of a thing. So, um, so prevention, again, can go such a long way. Oh my gosh. Um, just adding in these little pieces to 
to make the dog understand that you're not threatening is is such a good good plan. And and again, avoiding punishment. I know that it's so hard when you see your dog do these things because it's it's disheartening, it's frustrating, you're angry. I mean, of course you are. And that's normal. I mean, my gosh, it's very normal to feel that way. Um but but punishment is not going to help it. I have seen it exacerbate this to the point where it's you almost don't even know when it's going to happen. And and the problem, and I think Scott, we've talked about this before about punishing those body language cues that your dogs are giving. If we start punishing a growl, if we start punishing that hovering over a resource, then the dog starts stops offering those body language cues. And man, though that body language is so important for us to read because it tells us everything we need to know. It tells us the dog is getting uncomfortable. It tells us the dog is starting to escalate and they're warning. And the way, the reason that dogs warn is so they don't have to bite anything. And it's so important for us to know that or see that so that we can deescalate the situation. We can redirect, we can put some management in that place to keep everyone safe. So punishment is just not the answer in resource guarding. Um, and I know, again, you're angry and it's frustrating, but punishment reinforces the punisher. It does not help the dog. <laughs> you know, you might feel better because you were angry because your dog was resource guarding, you know, your brand new, you know, $150 running shoes or whatever it might be. Um, but, but we need to teach them that your approach means something really fabulous is going to happen. Um, and that, that when people approach that there's no reason, um, to, to, that the person is a threat by any means. So that's kind of what I talked I about. To ask you, as we begin to wind things down here, Heather, uh, on, on this edition, you, you kind of covered it a few times, uh, off and on here, but reiterate, what are some of the biggest mistakes people may make? Oh, you know, I think as a puppy, you know, very well-intentioned people, because again, you read stuff on the internet and you're like, oh gosh, you know, this guy said this, um, I'm going to start to, to mess with my dog's food dish and take their food away. And people get really proud of that. Like, well, I can mess with their food and they don't mind, but do they, <laughs> because maybe you're missing that tiny, tiny little half second freeze with a whale eye, um, that they're saying, Ooh, I'm uncomfortable. So I think, I think probably Scott, the biggest mistake would be that, that we, we don't implement this stuff right from puppyhood, because if you're, if your dog doesn't have a problem with it, you know, if you haven't seen them growling over a bully stick or hovering over their food dish, we think, oh, well, they're going to be fine. But I think with every dog, it's important to just put these little pieces of insurance in place of do the flyby hot dogs. It's so easy to do. You just toss them in their tree, in your bowl. Um, so I think the biggest is messing with their food dish, um, playing with their mouth, playing with their food, um, and then not recognizing, I would say the second piece, and this isn't, this isn't people's fault because I don't think they can recognize sometimes body language and dogs are so subtle with their body language sometimes. I mean, sometimes with some dogs, I literally see a half a second freeze in a whale eye before they go back to something. And man, if you don't have a trained eye for that, it's really hard to catch. <laughs> um, and some of the behaviors that dogs offer in terms of, of stress behaviors are things that don't look like, like aggression. Um, and so we don't recognize that. So, so I think training yourself with what body language looks like is really helpful because you will start to see the very preemptive pieces 
to what resource guarding could look like. So it might be a tiny little freeze that we don't catch. So so again, and that's why putting these preventative measures in is so easy to do because we don't really, we don't have to be super astute at reading body language to do fly by hot dogs. Like that's easy. You just walk by and you toss. <laughs> so um, being, uh, being really acutely aware of body language. And I think Scott, we had referenced um, um, Renee Erdman's Bravo dog body language video, I think previously, maybe we could post that again. It's just a great, um, Renee just has an awesome little free body language course that is so fabulous um, for people to start to understand like the different pieces of body language and what that looks like um, and what pieces of it mean that the dog is threatened. Um, so I think that piece, Scott, and then the, you know, the third is just using punishment in this behavior. And I mean, you know, I think about when I started as a dog trainer, I mean, that was kind of a normal thing for us to do. And thank goodness I have grown since then, <laughs> you know, continuing education and science is a fabulous thing. Um, and so now, you know, we know better. Um, but I think a lot of that information is still out there and it's accessible to people. So, um, you know, seeking out more valid information from people who are certified by accredited organizations, I think are important. You know, they they are a lot more astute in the science-based, like what are we seeing in the literature that we know that help dogs? Um, so I think all of those things are, are helpful. And then just the prevention end. I mean, gosh, it's so easy to do kind of some preventative things um, in puppyhood that will really help you. Um, especially if you have kids at home. Gosh, it's just so scary because kids are not good at reading body language. And so just from the get-go, working on doing some just classic conditioning of the kid, just walking by the food bowl and throwing hot dogs in. It's super easy for them to do. Um, walking by when they've got a, a toy and just throwing something good next to them. Um, and again, those are dogs that aren't exhibiting these behaviors yet. Um, if they are, we need to put some parameters in place so that everyone stays safe because um, resource guarding can escalate very fast. Um, you know, gosh, it, and, and again, it's not often predictive. Like I, I, in kind of looking at resource guarding, there's not a lot of predictive tools to say this dog, this is the dog that will do this. So I think just kind of assuming from the beginning that a lot of dogs will do this and just put some preventative measures um, into place. So so yeah, and if you need help, contact me. I mean, that's, um, it's a scary place to be and it's frustrating and it's scary really to see your dog that you snuggle with on the couch for a half hour all of a sudden grab a kitchen towel and start growling. Um, that's a scary place for people to be, um, especially when they think they know their dog pretty well. But again, they're canines. We live with animals. They're not always predictive, <laughs> you know? Um, some of the humans we live with, I think are not always predictable. So um so that, that, those are the things I would put in place, Scott, for resource guarding. Sounds good. Heather, another outstanding edition of Dose of Dog uh, uh, comes to an end. And a reminder for everybody, uh, check out Embark, Facebook, online. Reach out to Heather directly. Uh, she'll talk to you about uh, this and all the other topics as well. Heather, thank you very much. Thanks, Scott.